Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true, you know. It is. I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't. Uh, Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Got a great conversation up now with Garth Stein and Kevin O'Brien. Garth, the author of um, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which came out as a movie very recently. And Kevin is a the nicest scary writer in the world. Anyway, they talked about uh, their time with the Seattle 7, which has just come close. And it was a great conversation about writing and about writing organizations and about giving back to the community. Check it out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been writers from pen to publication since 1955. And, you know, their conference is every year. And it wrapped up. Yes, it did. It got back Sunday. It was a good one. And I saw a bunch of people there. Oh, I know listeners of the show. Uh, I hope you had fun. I certainly did. I got to interview. Yes, we shot some interviews there with Dan Wade the president-elect of the Romance Writers of America. Whoa, that guy is a tornado, a tornado of a person. Great conversation. Also talked to Donald Moss, the literary agent and of the uh, writing, well, it's like a writing Bible now, writing the breakout novel, among other things. We got to talk about stuff. And also Kim Hornsby, novelist and screenwriter Kim Hornsby, another fascinating person, three Wonderful interviews. They will all be doled out to you in November and December and then even into January. Yes, they will be. Oh, I guess so October, November, December. And those are what's coming up. So that was a lot of fun. Yes, it was, and, but I'm not done teaching yet. I'm going to be teaching it right on the sound here in Edmonds, Washington, if you're a Northwesterner. I'm going to be doing a fearless writing workshop on Friday up there in Edmonds from 1 to 4.30. Uh, I know they've already booked a lot of people to be in that, but it, you know what? It might still be room. I don't know. Check it out at Right on the Sound. And then at the end of uh, October, I'm going to be down in Pasadena, California for the Writer's Digest Novel Writing Conference. If you're a Californian, hey, maybe you can stop by and say hello there. That should be a lot of fun, too. I know that Alice Hoffman, oh, one of my favorites. I do love Alice Hoffman. She's going to be down there doing the keynote speech show, but I'll be there, too. And, uh, you know, lots of other writers. I don't know. It'll be fun. Pasadena, California, October 24th. Yes. Okay. Today we got a returning guest. Yes, we do. Talia Carner. Remember Talia? Well, you're going to meet her again if you don't. Talia's first novel, Puppet Child, was listed in the top 10 favorite first novels of 2002 and launched a nationwide legislation, the Protective Parent Reform Act, which became a platform for two, two count them, state senatorial candidates. China Doll made Amazon's bestseller list and served as the platform for Ms. Carner's presentation at the U.N., in 2007, about infanticide in China, the first ever in U.N. history. Her novel, Jerusalem Maiden, won the Forward National Literature Award in the historical fiction category. Hotel Moscow won USA Book uh, News Award in the multicultural category. Her latest novel, The Third Daughter, Daughter, is a daring expose of sex trafficking. Over 70 of her award-winning short stories, articles, and personal essays have appeared in anthologies, literary magazines, and leading websites. She's a board member of HBI, a research center for Jewish women's life and culture at Brandeis University. 
She's also an honorary board member of several anti-domestic violence and child abuse intervention organizations and sits on committees of organizations that work toward Israeli causes for addictions. If you're curious, include chocolate ballet hats and social justice. How about that? Talia, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me again. It's great to have you back. It's great to have you back, and I, I detect a slight accent in your voice, which suggests to me you came to us from an exotic foreign land. Where was that? Where yeah, were well, it's not a New York accent, even though I live in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's an Israeli accent that I worked on until it became uh, unrecognizable. I also <laughs> speak French, so sometimes people think it's a French accent. It could be, oh. but it's, uh, it's my own. It's I your own. Say. All right, so you moved here. When did you, uh, so you, you were born in Israel, I assume? I was born and raised in Israel, and I came to the United States uh, over 40 years ago I, for my master's degree, which I did at Stony Brook. I studied uh, for e- economics. My background before that, my undergraduate was psychology and sociology. So I never actually studied literature. No writing in a formal way, but rather I have this very broad international global view of things, including the the economies uh, of different countries plays a major role in uh, my writing. Yeah. Well, and do you think there's something it seems to me about being born in a place like Israel, which is got, which is so much at the center of so many different things and, and has so much international attention on it, even though it's a small country. Do you think that just coming from there gives you a it gives you an opportunity for a uh, a broader world view than being born just in say Seattle, maybe? I would say so because Israel is very cosmopolitan. Tel Aviv is an extremely cosmopolitan, vivacious, lively city. And Israelis travel abroad because it's so small. And you can't just drive, even though the the border is just 30 minutes away or an hour away from any point in any spot, you can't (laughs) go and visit the neighbors. So you need to fly someplace. And once you fly, you might as well fly far and away. So even as as a kid, my parents used to go to Europe every summer. And uh, once I grew up a little bit more, my school sent me to Europe for a month to France when I was 17. So, yeah, its international background was just very popular and very clear and part of our life growing up. And what? So you you came here to st- for your for your graduate studies, but what made you decide to stay? Oh, love! <laughs> oh, my favorite thing! You stayed for so you met a you met a guy. I met my husband. Yeah. And the rest is history. Oh, that's well. See now you're you're talking my tune. Okay, so you fell in love. You decided to stay, and so you you busy woman. You're an ambitious woman, uh, but you didn't come to novels. Until 2002, which may have been 17 years ago, but I suspect you did a lot before then, yeah? I was always a good writer. Yeah? I wrote, I was in the business world, and I wrote 
business uh, industry overviews and marketing plans and excellent sales letters that were really excellent. But really? I never thought of writing as a anything but means to achieve something else. Right. I was also a good storyteller, and when my kids were little, I invented certain characters, and at bedtime I would make up stories. I made hundreds of stories around really? those characters as my kids were growing up. I wish I'd recorded myself. I would have had wow. a huge series of those stories. <laughs> so it was easy for me to do that. And uh, while my first novel came out in 2002, it, the growing pains to get there were a lot longer than that. I actually sat down to write on November 3rd, 1993 at 2.48 p.m. What? Oh, you, wait, wait, you, you, you like recorded the moment to the minute. I know exactly. I came. I I had gone. I had been in Russia teaching Russian women entrepreneurial skills, and I I went twice in 1993 in in May and in October, uh-huh. and the second time I ended up being caught in the uprising of the Russian parliament against then President Boris Yeltsin. Wow. I was on a run from the militia. This was pre-internet or pre-email. And uh, in internet existed, but not much email. Right. And when I came back and everybody asked me what happened, I started sending out hard copies of my 23-page report that I had written for the U.S. information agency that had sent me, a governmental agency at that time that sent around experts. So at that day, November 3, 1993, I sat down to lunch with a friend who was a journalist and I said, this was already three and a half weeks after my return, and I, I said to her, don't ask, here's my, here's my report, all it needs is hot sex, and I have a novel. <laughs> so she said, why don't you write it? So I went back uh. to the office and ignored my assistants and the five phone lines and everything, and I just sat down to start to type. And that's why I know when my... Career, wow. my writing career began. Within three weeks, I knew I found a new calling, so I told my husband that I wanted to close my company and be a kept woman. And in his <laughs> very, very typical way, he said, yes, honey. So with that, and I must say that having the financial backing of is a fabulous thing for any writer who can sure, sure. then not worry about day-to-day living. All I needed at that time, I still had kids who said to me, Mommy, you're acting as if we're already in college. You're ignoring us. (laughs) (laughs) But at that point, I had those characters populating my head, and I was in a fever to write. That novel made the novel, as probably most of your listeners know, never came to being, but it served me as the draft over which I learned. I started, uh, I became a junkie of uh, writers' workshops and conferences. I traveled oh. all over the country. I, unfortunately, I don't think I came to Seattle, but for three years, 
I studied it very seriously. Instead of going for an MFA, that was my way of right. learning right. the craft. I know you just talked about those wonderful, the wonderful conference you guys have. Sure. So I've had, yep. and I recommend to any writer to do that. It's it's very yep. important to meet other fellow writers and to to take those various lectures and workshops. So. Yep. Eventually, I started, that novel was actually represented, already got an agent, but nothing happened. In the meanwhile, I, got, I started to write my second, my third, and uh, it was the next one that got published in 2002. So that's nine years since I sat down to yeah. write. So it's not that yeah. fast. No. And then... And then Twenty years later, I took that novel that had been set in Russia, used the material to write and to publish the novel Hotel Moscow, which came really? out four years ago. Yeah, but that original manuscript was on DOS. Do you remember DOS? Yes, yes. I couldn't even revive it. I couldn't find right. it. There was no way for me to find it, but I had my files. I knew the material, and anyway, I was a much better writer by that time. Mm. It became my fourth novel, so I uh, used the material, reimagined whatever I needed to reimagine, and here I am now. Fifth, finish. My fifth novel has come out. Wow! And that is wow. the third daughter. You know, I want to go back to that moment when you you, you had been at it for. A little while, a few weeks. How long did you say it was before you told your husband you wanted to shut your weeks. business? In three weeks, right. three I, know weeks. I found a new, a new calling. Right. Yeah. So I, so this is always one of the most moving and interesting moments. I think it's to me, it is akin to falling in love. Like when you see somebody, I, mm-hmm. my, one of the most profound moments to me in my life was seeing the person I'm married to now, the woman I'm married to now. I was only 17 at the time, but I saw her in a play, and I said, I have to meet this person. And I just knew, right? And Mm -hmm. I've always thought about a calling sort of the same way. It's like falling in love. And so what was – how did you know, if someone who's never had a calling, how do you know that you had met your new calling? What was it about it that convinced you so quickly that you – you're willing to make do such an, a, a sharp turn in your professional life. When nothing else interested me, when all I wanted to do was write. And for the first 15 years, I wrote 10 to 16 hours a day, six days a week. Wow. Really? So that is pretty much being wow. as much in love as you can. I tried wow. to give my family a day a week in which I said, okay, this is, I'm not, but otherwise I was interested in nothing else. Eventually wow. once the books, I was in a book tour for one and then the other, I calm. not only I calmed down, but there was a time for my novel, Jerusalem Maiden. I started researching it in 2001. It came out in 2011. Within those 10 years, there were three times that for a year and a half I never opened a manuscript on my computer for the reason that I was on book tour and I was wow. working on other writing projects that were just took precedent to everything. So I could no longer do 
just what I wanted at that moment. I had to do other things that right. eventually gave me as much pleasure because I found that I enjoy public speaking almost yeah. as much as I enjoy writing. So I, unlike many authors, <laughs> I speak a lot to groups uh -huh. about the issues behind my writing. Right. And I never do a reading. I find it the most boring for me as a listener and as an right. author to read. Never do a reading. But I prepare very interesting lectures about right. the social issues behind. So so that as a result, I get invited. And as a result, like my no last novel, Hotel Moscow, which came out in 2015, I gave my last presentation this year in March, which makes it almost three months short of four years of book tour. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is, you know, so it's interesting. You say you give talks on the on the issues behind it. And so one of the things that marks your career is that your books are issue oriented. You have a social uh, conscience, that I think, that permeates your work. Did that happen sort of on purpose? Because when you described your first book, you said all it needs is some hot sex, and I've got a, I've got a story. So there wasn't any leaning. I've got a, I've got a social issue I want to address. Did that come organically, or did you decide you wanted to put those in? How did that come about? I would say it comes organically. I, I encounter a situation, and I imagine a protagonist who goes through that, and mm -hmm. I, I'm not an activist on that issue until after the book comes out. So it's not, it's not like I've worked on the issue of, uh, let's say, the one from Puppet Child, how family courts put children, molested children, in the hands of their molesters, but rather I encountered that situation immediately. It grabbed me. I sat down to write it, eventually it got published, and after that I became an activist. The same thing right. with the sex trafficking, which is the issue of my new, uh, newly released novel. I had done nothing about it before. It was a subject that I guess I explore the subject through the writing. It, right. through, it, it grabs me, but I learn about it more and more as I live through the protagonist. And I live right. on the inside with her. And there's right. one more thing very important in writing. And no matter what the subject, whether it is a social issue or it's a murder mystery, there should be a moral dilemma. Yeah. And a moral dilemma is very important to carry the story in a way that grabs the reader. And in my in a case of my of the third daughter that just came out, this girl has been kidnapped. It's set in the late 1800s, and she's kidnapped from Russia to Buenos Aires. But the idea is that she realizes she's only 14, and she finds herself in this absolutely impossible situation in a country where she doesn't speak the language and nobody's on her side and the police even is not only bribed, but prostitution is legal at that time right. in oh. Cyrus. So there was, and, and the brothers' owners owned the these girls the way they, in the United States just before, white people owned black slaves. 
They wow. own them. There is no question wow. of running away and finding unless she man, some managed to buy the freedoms. But basically, they own them for life just because they kidnapped them. So her moral, wow. her moral, moral dilemma was to commit suicide or to stay and try try to bring her family from Russia. Her family doesn't know that this is what happens to her. They think she's married to a wealthy man, and she's right. not telling them the truth. So she writes those letters, tell her, tell her parents about her riches and her success and the maze right. that she has. But, of right. course, none of it is true. So they expect her to bring them. Uh, so those are the moral dilemmas. Right. That, and there are more as we go along. For example, her parents kept on, keep on saying, why don't you bring at least bring your, they write to her, bring your sister who's a couple, two, three years younger. Have her meet somebody like your <laughs> husband. <laughs> right. And she can't tell him and she is right. evasive, but she doesn't want to bring her sister. She knows what's going right. to happen. So right. all of these kind of, these are things I learned with the, with the protagonist, but the reader gets so emotionally involved, and that is yeah. why it's important and why it's gripping. And actually, yeah. I learned that all of this from from Stephen King. He has this book about yep. the on writing. writing. Yep, sure. And he shows how to put tension into every sentence and into every paragraph, and of course, every scene, and regardless yep. of what the topic is. Yeah. You know, it's true. I was just talking to my brother who's writing a screenplay and he was listening to somebody talk about um, keeping up the tension in screenplays, but it really applies to all writing. And he had just mentioned that, that you don't want conflict, You although you can have conflict, but what you want are dilemmas. You want, um, I, and I've always thought of it that way, that drama is driven by cho- difficult choices. Or as William Faulkner said, the human heart and conflict with itself is another uh, way of framing it. So the dilemma, it's not just overcome because problem conflicts can be resolved, but dilemmas provide no easy solution, right? No yeah. simple solution. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. I, uh, John Irving, you know who John Irving is? The uh, American novelist. He says um, the way he writes a book, he finds a character he loves and then thinks of the worst thing that can happen to them. And that's the way he, that's, that's his plot. Let's see, we were talking about uh, dilemmas. When did you learn, yes, the dilemmas opposed to, when did you learn that you needed to find those moral dilemmas in order to drive the story forward? Was that your first book? When did that happen? I think it was, it came to be naturally, because that's how my first book was already written with those various moral dilemmas I was showing. At that point, what I didn't trust myself to do was tell the entire story from one point of view character. I didn't know Uh. so much from staying in one character. So I had three characters. I had the judge, I had the mother whose child is being abused, and I had a law clerk, and whoever, as the story went on, we got to see that moral dilemma from the different point of views, which was interesting. Probably it still was, would have been the right structure for that novel if I, if I wrote it today, because 
my protagonist could not know everything that the judge was thinking and right. what he was saying to others in chamber. So it was good for this particular novel. But as of the next novel, but uh, Hotel Moscow, I mean, Hotel Moscow, as I mentioned, it used to be a, I had that maiden effort. It right. Was, it was a completely different book, also from multiple point of views which did not happen once I wrote Hotel Moscow later on. Right. Um, but, yeah, so for my next novel, which was China Doll, I trusted myself to stay with one point of view, even though she didn't know everything. She did U.S.-China relationship come into play against this little baby that's the uh, singer. She's a pop singer on a concert tour in China when a baby right. is thrust into her arms and then she she gets all those the two major governments the US, world superpowers are against right. her keeping the baby each one for their own political and economic interests and then is the company that owns the rights to her music and so on so everybody has their interests but she doesn't know all of it but she knows she wants to save the baby we, but we do get more and more the sense of the, the different dilemmas that other people around her find themselves. For example, her husband-slash-manager, who put his entire career on her success, and babies were never in that equation. And uh, other whole team that she has a hundred. Celine Dion has a hundred and twenty people. I could uh, interrupt. Right. I couldn't have wow. interrupt of a hundred and twenty. <laughs> I put right. really one one stylist, makeup artist, uh, uh, hairdresser who acted a lot of those types. Right. And they are people right. in the background, but I put it into one. That's another thing that we need to learn when we write we can't have the stage filled with so many characters right it um it it makes things too confusing and there's no need to for it if we can give a more role to some less number of characters right uh, we can see from their point of view what are their ambitions for themselves and they it's be, it has to do with her and how are they accepting or not accepting and whether their loyalty to her is based upon the, that they truly love her or if she weren't who she was she is meaning a pop artist right uh, would they really love her still and, and right. there are always the various dilemmas that, that puts let's say in this particular case a celebrity in a position where she's really very lonely. Yeah. Nothing can trust anybody around you. It's true. It's true. I just saw, I was watching a documentary about Lady Gaga, and she talked uh, about her loneliness and sadness at the end of her days when she comes home, after she, not when she's just home alone and she's not a superstar anymore and it's just her in her house and how lonely she can feel. I thought it was quite quite touching in a way. Well, yeah, that's, Talia. that's in my first chapter of that novel, oh. China Doll. Oh. Well, yeah. you see? Yeah, it's good. So, Talia, this was too short, cut slightly short by our interruption, but we're not done yet. Um, I was uh, interested um, 
Well, first of all, if people want to learn more about you, uh, where can they do that? My website, of course, has my books. It has the first chapter of each one. It has my bio. It has other writings, my short short pieces of writing there. So it's www.taliacarner.com. It's spelled T-A-L-I-A-C-A-R-N, as in Nancy-E-R.com. That's right. So it's Talia Carner, people, not Carter, not Connor, Carner. Talia Carner, that's it, taliacarner.com, just like it says in my uh, podcast. So, okay, that's the best place to learn if they want to go hear one of your many, many speaking engagements, buy your books, excellent. But I'm not done with you yet, Talia. I have one more okay. question for you. What I'd like you to do is finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? To listen. Yes. To listen. Yeah. Every that, I don't think I was a very good listener before. Now when somebody speaks, I let them finish. I see I, I listen to their voice, I listen to the use of words, and I listen to the content. And I think that that's became very important in my life to listen to others. Absolutely. That's a great answer. Well, Talia, thank you so much for coming on the show and the Best of luck with uh, with the third daughter. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Well, yes, you got to listen, people. Writing, really, people, it's not thinking. It's listening. You're really listening at the desktop. That's what you're doing there. You're not, you're not thinking. You're inviting in new thought. You're listening to the world. You're listening to your imagination. Yes, you are. I will be back next week with Mr. Frank Heller. Until then, go find something you love and listen to it and do it and be it and all that good stuff.